Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we concluded our coverage of Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's closing statement with her argument to the jury for how they should regard the defense arguments in the case. In this episode, we begin our examination of the defense team's closing arguments with the first half of Jason Sheffield's closing on behalf of Travis McMichael. We will begin that presentation right after the break. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jason Sheffield rises to deliver his closing on behalf of Travis McMichael. The defense attorney chooses to present a linear narrative for the events that culminated in Ahmaud Arbery's killing. We will present much of his argument with only minor edits and narration for clarity or concision. We begin with Sheffield's narrative of Larry English's October 25th call to the Glynn County Police. On October 25th, Larry English calls the police. And we learn from Larry English that there is a man plundering around. Larry English at this time only has two cameras, one on the dock and one behind the house looking out in the backyard of the house. Larry English says he looks drunk or on drugs. That's concerning. Larry English identifies to the police, I have a lot of valuables in my house. Tools, equipment, things of that nature. Never seen this gentleman before and it doesn't look good. Police come, but there is no person that is found. What you need to understand about burglary is burglary includes any house, building, or structure which is designed or intended for occupancy for residential use. This unoccupied, unsecure construction site, which could be anything, is not the same thing as Larry English's residence that's being built. That's a term that the state continues to use, the unoccupied, unsecured construction site, which doesn't even begin to tell the story of what this is. Jason Sheffield seeks to frame the narrative in a way that the jury can assess the facts as supporting the view that it would be reasonable for Travis McMichael to believe that Ahmaud Arbery was engaged in felonious activity on Larry English's property. Sheffield next moves on to Travis McMichael's account of his encounter with a man who would later come to believe was Mr. Arbery on February 11th, 2020. Travis McMichael 
has his own horrifying experience with a man that he is about to learn has just been involved in all this stuff with Larry English. He's been told some things by his mother and his father and other neighbors before this moment, but he's going to learn some things for himself on 2-11-20. On this night, Travis is driving out of the neighborhood to go get some gas. He wants to fill up so he doesn't have to get 4 a.m. and do it. And on his way out, as he's driving down the road out of the neighborhood, he sees a man run across the street and then duck into the shadows. From this house, ducking through the shadows, through the trees, all the way across until he gets in front of this house. Travis backs his car up and splashes his headlights up on the house. The gentleman steps behind a porta potty. Travis then starts to get out because he wants to say, hey, what are you doing here? The guy comes out from behind a porta potty, lifts his shirt up, and acts like he's reaching in his pocket, and that totally freaks out Travis. Despite his training, despite his experience, it freaks him out. Travis tries to talk to him. Now, the guy never says, hey, I'm sorry, I am so sorry. I was walking my dog, or I'm so sorry, I did not mean to startle you like any one of you would if you were out in the yard late at night. Didn't say anything, just did this. Travis got in his car, reversed out, stalled the car, but backed up and zipped home to tell his dad. As soon as his dad hears what's going on, his dad decides to go check it out. At the same time, Diego Perez has apparently been called, and he's going to check it out. They take firearms with them. Travis tells you, he said, Dad, whoa, wait a second. This guy could be armed. Wait a second. But his dad was already walking down the street. Travis gets in his truck. He backs up. He's calling 911, and he returns to the house where he puts the headlights on the house, watching, waiting, believing that this man could be dangerous, believing that his dad could now be in danger, believing that something awful could happen. So he posts up right here, lights on, and waits for the police that he himself called. And when the police arrive, he stands there and he talks to the police. He tells them, hey, my dad's in there. Travis, why didn't you go in there? Why didn't you go in the house? He's like, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. When this guy did this, that was enough for me. I'm staying out here. It's a reasonable thing to do. To constitute the offense of burglary, it's not necessary that a break-in happen, that something gets broken. You recall all the questions by the state of the witnesses, well, was anything broken? Was a window broken? Was a door broken? That's not what's required for the law. Those questions are meaningless and they are red herrings. 
Nothing has to be broken. You just have to break the plane of the structure to constitute a burglary. Then you don't have to show that an actual theft had been committed. Nothing actually has to be stolen. You just have to enter with the intent to steal something. Where do we derive a person's intent to steal something from a house? Well, they certainly go into a house that isn't theirs that contains valuables, and they do it at a time when they shouldn't be doing it, and under circumstances that are very problematic, including running from other people who see you. You made these guys aware that you had stuff stolen out of your boat. Yes, and in fact, you wanted your neighbors to help you catch the guy. Yes, Diego. I wanted Diego to catch this guy. You never told them at any point, hey guys, I'm sorry. It wasn't stolen when it was at my house. It was stolen when it was off property. You never told them that, did you, Mr. English? Never told them that. You never announced it on Facebook. You never announced it on Next Door Neighbor. You never corrected what you now say is it was stolen off-site somewhere. You never told your neighbors that. He says no. So then, Therefore, Mr. English, to your knowledge, they were left with the impression that stuff had been stolen from your boat at 220 Satilla. I guess so. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Defense attorney Jason Sheffield next moves on to his narrative of the day that his client killed Ahmad Arbery. Matt Albenzi was doing work in his yard and he saw this gentleman who resembled the gentleman who had committed what they thought was a burglary in that residence. He shut down the work that he was doing, put a gun in his pocket, grabbed his cell phone, and he walked all the way up to the street to the corner where Jones meets Satilla, where he keeps his mailbox. And he stood there right next to this tree and he called 911. At some point in the video, when you see Mr. Arbery run out, you'll see he passes right through the window. And Mr. Albenzi is standing right there on the phone calling the police. His behavior then changes. Instantly, Mr. Arbery is at a full sprint, running into the neighborhood. Now, Travis has told you, Nothing has erased from his mind about this individual in the two weeks between February 11th and February 23rd. It's all still there. Sheffield here is arguing that the incidents on February 11th and February 23rd, 2020 are part of one incident. The significance of this, as we have previously pointed out, is that such an interpretation would give Travis McMichael a basis for having the necessary probable cause to invoke a citizen's arrest according to Georgia law. And while he's sitting in his home, his dad comes running in the house and says, the guy 
who's been breaking in down the street is back. He's running past. Get your gun. Travis and his dad carry their firearms for protection wherever they go. What they do. The law allows them to do it. They have permits to do it. Travis testified he had a concealed permit at one point. The law allows this behavior. Travis comes out to the street. He looks down the street, right across. Here he is at 2.30. He comes out here. Mr. Arbery has already run past. He comes out here. He looks down the street from where the house is and sees Mr. Matt Albenzi, who is walking towards him and eventually, after a couple houses, goes like this and points down the street. It is reasonable to conclude that based on what his dad said, who just came running in the house, the guy's back who's broken in, to come outside and look and see and see Mr. Albenzi, who he knows, who he's talked with, who he shared thoughts and feelings about the person breaking in the house, is now saying, go that way, the guy is back, to get in his car and go. You cannot act on the unsupported statements of others. The state has characterized that, which is an accurate statement of the law, as Travis's mom. Are you kidding? After all that we have seen, after all that he has experienced, after all the conversation that he's had, after all the videos that he's seen, after what he experienced himself, that he's just going off of what his mommy told him? They want to try to reduce this case down to this statement, which is not true. Travis had all of this. His reading Facebook, everything going on at Larry English's house, knowing about what was happening in Satilla Shores, speaking with everybody on the 11th, his own experience, Albenzi signaling, Officer Rash and Matt Albenzi, this is what he carried with him when he left his driveway that day. Reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. Reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. Facts and circumstances to warrant a prudent person, one taking care to understand the truth in believing that the suspect has committed the offense of burglary. Travis believes he's committed the offense of burglary. This is where the duty and responsibility in following the law becomes intertwined with heartache and tragedy. Because you do have the right to perform a citizen's arrest. You do have the right to have a firearm when you make an arrest. You do have the right to stop a person and to hold them and detain them for the police. And there is risk with that. And there are tragic consequences that can come from that. And we can all sit here right now and say what the state has said from the very beginning and what Travis himself recognizes. If he had only stayed home that day, if he had just sat on the couch and fallen asleep with his kid that day, Travis told you it's not a day that doesn't go by that he doesn't think that exact same thing. But the law allows the citizens to make a citizen's arrest. And if doing so properly, it is the reason for the actions that follow. Here, you talk about an offense being committed in his presence or in his immediate knowledge. What could be more immediate than February 11th? 
What could be more immediate than seeing the videos of him in the house and talking with police officers and other people, including hearing from Larry English through others, that he actually had stuff stolen from his property? An offense has been committed, and he knows about it. He's, he's seen everything other than the hand on the equipment that was stolen. If it's a felony and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape, then you can arrest him upon reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion, probable cause. With these arguments, Jason Sheffield is doing his best to frame a narrative in which the jury could interpret Travis McMichael's actions as being in line with Georgia's citizen's arrest law. However, knowing that Judge Timothy Walmsley would later instruct jurors that a private citizen's power to make a warrantless arrest is extinguished if the arrest is not made contemporaneously with or during the immediate pursuit after the commission of a crime. Sheffield must be aware that he is climbing a very steep hill. Jason Sheffield next moves on to Travis McMichael's actions as he leaves his home to pursue Ahmaud Arbery on February 23, 2020. So, Travis, leaving his house, decides he's going to follow. That's what he does. He pulls out after his dad crammed into the front seat with the kid's seat there, and he follows. And he watches. And he pulls up next to this gentleman. No gun is raised. No violences ensue. He doesn't get out of the car. He doesn't tackle him. He doesn't do anything. He does what a reasonably prudent person would do. He does what his training has taught him to do, to use leaps. And he says, hey, man, what's going on? Can you stop for a second, please? I just want to talk to you for a second. There is no violence. If Travis wanted violence against this man, if Travis wanted to hurt him or commit an aggravated assault or commit a false imprisonment, he could have done it right then and there. He doesn't. He talks to him. Strawberry looks him in the eyes, doesn't say a word, doesn't have to, but that's information for Travis. Is it so offensive to pull up next to somebody and say, hey man, can you stop for a second? I want to talk to you. Just for making, hold on a second. Is that so offensive? So he stops, he starts to go back one way. Travis backs up alongside of him, three feet away, not pulling in front of him, not pulling behind him, just tries to talk to him. And Mr. Arbery takes off running down the street. And Travis watches him. There he goes. Doesn't take a gun out and shoot him in the back. Doesn't take a gun out and commit an aggravated assault. Doesn't take a gun and try to kill him. Doesn't try to hit him with his truck. He watches him, watching. So he pulls up next to him. And he stops again. He says, hey, hey, hold on a second. We just want to talk to you for a minute. We, we, something's going on back there. We want to know what's going on. He's not saying to the guy, I don't know what's been going on in this neighborhood. To do that would do what? It would escalate the situation. So he just says, well, we want to know what's going on back there. Why is that guy pointing at you? Why is he, why is he doing that? Mr. Orby stops. He looks him dead in the eyes, doesn't say a word. And Travis just says, we want you to stay right here. We're calling the cops. Call the cops. Call the cops. And Mr. Arbery bolts. Now, on the subject of police, Travis told you. Got in the car with my dad. I said, Dad, are the cops coming? Yeah, 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 go this way, go this way. It's very clear. He says he asked his father about the cops being called. They call the cops all the time. It's, this is not like it's a, a new thing. 
for the McMichaels to call the police. Here, when they say call the cops, now he bolts. And it's on that bolting that Travis thinks this guy knows he's caught. He knows he's caught because he's bolting. He's looked at me. He won't talk to me. That's odd. I'm not talking to him in a too aggressive of a way. And he bolts. And Travis stays right where he is. And he watches. He watches what happens between this truck. He has no clue who this black truck is. In terms of evidence, there is no evidence of any communication between these people, any cooperation between these two people, no help, no assistant, no encouraging, nothing. So he sees this truck and he tells you it's one of a couple things. It's either the guy from up at 220 or it's his buddy maybe trying to give him a lift or now that I'm watching him, he's being very aggressive against this truck. He's watching it from 200 feet away, but he's thinking this guy's being really aggressive. This is something, something off with this guy. His dad says, Travis, go. Dad gets out of the car climbs in the back of the truck with his rebuilt hip and his medical issues. Travis watches him get in, looks down the street, sees this, takes his gun off the floorboard, puts it up on the bench seat. His dad says, go, go, get, get down the street. Travis says, no, I'm not going back that way. Something's off with this guy. I'm not going into that. Well, if he wanted to go commit an aggravated assault, if he wanted to go do a false imprisonment, if he wanted to end the life of somebody, whether it's murder or felony murder, there's another chance. But he doesn't. He just watches. And then he says, I'm going to drive around. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us in our next episode as we conclude our examination of Jason Sheffield's closing argument on behalf of Travis McMichael. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>